This is Mission.org. This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. When you build an SLO, you really focus on service level objective. You focus on starting with the customer, and then you try to figure out how complex or how reliable the infrastructure needs to be to deliver a certain level of the service to the customer. Although some people will argue they can build 100% reliable systems, that's very much impossible and it's very, very expensive. So now you really have this balance between how much you want to invest in infrastructure versus what the return is and how much it's going to cost you, right? So that's exactly what the SLO is designed to do. Service providers spend a tremendous amount of time and resources building the infrastructure to keep their software systems reliable and their customers satisfied. But can the burgeoning service level objective market help ease the burden for them? We'll find out from one of the industry's leading innovators. Today, we're pleased to welcome Marcin Kurtz, the co-founder and CEO of the SLO platform, Noble9. Marcin suggests that SLOs are a necessity for any software team trying to stay ahead of the curve and operate efficiently. Tune in to learn how his company, Noble9, has already changed the trajectory of the emerging SLO market and hear Marcin's valuable advice to new entrepreneurs. Marcin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Hey, listen, everyone has software. Everyone knows about SLOs. We're going to dive into that. But before we dive into that segment, we want to enter the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Marcin, this is where we ask you a couple of questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. You're a developer. Uh, you have IT background. What's one of the craziest problems you've ever had to solve? I think the craziest one that's never ending is consolidation, removing some kind of technology that never goes away, right? Um, <laughs> I didn't say mainframe, but that's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up, did you have any mentors or heroes you looked up to that made you say, hey, I want to learn the technical side of business. I want to understand how to develop. Uh, I want to build things. You know what? That's a, that's a very interesting question. You know, growing up in uh, what, what it used to be communist Poland, the entire country of U.S. has been this goal, mentor, you know, something to look up to. So I, at some point, ended up here. I think that was that was probably the biggest impact. <laughs> and how old were you when you came to the United States? 21. And what was your first thought when you landed? Well, it doesn't look like uh, what I've seen on the movies. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Where was the first place you ended up? I ended up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Interesting place. Okay. I mean, yeah, I could see that. Not a lot of movies are shot. In Fort Wayne, Indiana. So not really, not really. Yeah, no, that was that was a little different. <laughs> and from the different uh, immigrants that we've had on the show, they all talk about you know aspirational, creative content. They made them say, "Hey, this is a great place to be." So when you were a young kid or a teenager in Poland, you were obviously watching and consuming uh, entertainment or content from America. Which movie did you think America was going to look like? Well, I'll probably say Animal House. That was interesting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marson likes the party, man. Well, welcome to the show. Welcome to IT Visionaries. Well, those days are over, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> welcome to the show, man. We're, listen, we're excited to have you on. Your company, Noble Nine, does something that I think we all can potentially be customers of. But for those who don't understand this business, why don't you talk a little bit? Let's we'll start there. 
why do SLOs or SLAs even need to be monitored in the first place? I'd love for you to explain to our audience, you know, what is Noble9, how you came out this idea, what's it do? You got it. So a few years ago, or more than a few years ago, um, my, our previous company has been acquired by Google. And, you know, I, we knew what we wrote was uh, had a great business value, but, you know, we, we made some mistakes on architecture and, and, you know, building out the product to be scalable. Uh, so when Google got interested, you know, we, we had this conversation during the, the M&A process that we have to rewrite this thing and, and, you know, make it really scalable for the customers. So day one, amazingly, Google stood up a development team when we came in the first day, you know, here's your team, let's, let's do this, right? And that's when we will learn how Google operates, how they implement solutions in, in uh, microservices, you know, how they measure success, how they get ready to release products. And the mindset of really focusing on the customer has been very, very interesting to us. And of course, you know, we've been talking about this for years and, you know, working for large IT organizations, we all know how it works, right? You monitor things and... and there are signals, but it's really, really hard to translate those signals to the impact on business, on the customer. And for us, SLOs were very, very interesting on how that could be translated from technology to business people and vice versa, right? So that was very intriguing for us, very interesting. So with my co-founder, Brand Singer, we started really thinking about how to take that technology and, and apply it across the board to an average enterprise. And that's what we did. 2019, we decided to fund Noble9. And the rest is history we hear. All right. For those who are new listeners or maybe younger developers who haven't had to measure this, the impact of software, tell us what a service level objective is. That's an SLO for the audience. Yeah. Service level objective in a nutshell is basically a composite of quality of service level signals, right? That tell you something about how your application is behaving. So simplistic example, if you're monitoring something, you get a signal that something is down, for example, right? Yeah. And it could be could be any component of your infrastructure. That doesn't really tell you what it means to your business. Does it mean that you're losing money? Does it mean some of your customers are not receiving service? Does it mean that some of those customers are receiving degraded service? And you know, when you multiply it by microservices and the complexity of today's applications, modern architecture applications, you can see how many different uh, failure points you have and and even understanding what the definition of, of certain level of service is across different parts of this application, right? Because you've got different teams that, that probably have different uh, uh, frameworks or thinking in different categories. So when you, when you build an SLO, you really focus on service level objective. You focus on starting with the customer, and then you try to figure out how uh, uh, complex or how um, reliable the infrastructure needs to be to deliver a certain level of the service to the customer. We cannot really, although some people will, will argue they can build 100% reliable systems, I mean, that's, that's pretty much impossible. And if it is, it's very, very expensive. So now yeah. it, you really have this balance between how much you want to invest in infrastructure versus what the return is and how much it's going to cost you, right? So that's exactly what the SLO is designed to do. Uh, you know, you choose the number of nines, depending on, on the level of service. Let's just think you're Netflix, for example. If I'm streaming something, you know, you're getting high definition, you're happy. If there's some kind of degradation on my platform, either from, you know, latency or, or potentially being able to serve that content, the basic question is, what's the level of degradation and the period of time of degradation of service uh, that's going to impact the, the end customer to the point where the customer is going to start thinking about moving to a different platform, mm. right? 
So if you see pixels for, you know, 10 seconds, five seconds, probably not going to impact you. are not going to be thinking about going to a different platform for that reason. But if you keep logging in and you keep uh, seeing this behavior, you probably start thinking about moving somewhere else, right? So SLOs really measure the quality of service inputs to understand how we're performing and is this customer being impacted and therefore our business being impacted at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Like I said earlier, if you have, you know, there's there's an impact, disk went out, right? Okay. I don't know if you're getting, you know, seeing the gradation, if you're seeing pixels, but if I start measuring that all the way to the customer, then I have a really good idea of how those customers are being impacted. So I came from, my background's in software. I've been in the software business for a while. And, you know, back in the day, companies would put service level agreements or service level objectives on us where, you know, like six nines was like the the gold standard. Like, can you do six right. nines of uptime? In fact, I worked for a network as a service company. And that's what everyone asks. Like, you know, can you get up to six nines of reliability? As a SLA or SLO? Because I would not drill down on this one. Oh, I, I don't remember now. But they, they basically said, hey, that was an SLA. Hey, you need to provide six nines of connectivity to me if I'm going to rely on your system to, you know, throw up networks, private networks as because we were trying to compete with Amazon Direct Connect and right. other services like that, Azure Express Route and that kind of thing, the hard line to the building. Give us an idea. Who is the best person to utilize this? Is it like me, the vendor? Like I need it installed in my software so I know what I'm delivering? Or is it more like me, the customer? I need to keep track of all these people that I depend on and they owe me a service level agreement that I, I'm paying for. And when one of them goes down, I want to be able to dispute that. I guess, who is the customer here? Is it? Right, right. That's exactly why I asked this question, yeah. right? Because it becomes very interesting. SLA is basically a legal contract between the service provider and the customer. Yeah. With us, with any contract, there are many, many pages of exclusions and other things. And, you know, <laughs> potentially definitions, how you calculate that SLA, right? Yeah. And and your and your five nines might ultimately be two and a half nine, right? Yeah. It could get to that level with all those exclusions. So you need to have a contract in place. There's no question because, you know, there, there's a relationship. I rely on my provider and, and I want the assurance and assurance needs to be in a, in a legal contract, most likely. However, if the company or the service provider is experiencing outages or degradation of service, then I, at some point I already stop caring about, about the legal contract because I'm not going to be sending my lawyers or have discussions with that provider you know, over and over uh, to figure out if I'm getting you know, $15 of credit because, again, it does not matter to my business. My business is most likely taking d- deeper uh, damages than you know, what I can get in terms of refunds. So that is kind of the necessary evil. But the SLOs are really for the service provider to understand what's going on with their services dependencies and how it's impacting the end customer so that we don't have that conversation, right? And you can create your SLOs based on specific contracts. If you have per customer SLAs or SLOs, or you want to expose SLOs directly, and we see a lot of customers that start doing this, being very, very transparent with their customers. Mm. And again, it's, it's a complexity, right? I cannot tell you how many times we talk with prospects, customers, and they tell us, okay, we have four nines SLA. And once we start having this conversation, start peeling the onion, turns out that they, they, they present a four nine SLA to the end customer. Meanwhile, we find two or three services that have 
two nines in their architecture, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, how can you provide a four nine at the end of this, you know? Company? That's kind of what I was getting at, because we didn't really have a tool to, to track that for us. <laughs> right. So now if you take a step back, SLOs will do just that for you. First of all, also very, very much amazing, but not that surprising uh, uh, situation is when we have a conversation and, and three teams in a room figure out that their definition of SLA is completely different, mm. right? So once again, even if you agree on the, th- on the three, four nines, the definition of those nines is different. At the end of the day, it might be providing much different result that, that what you need. So implementing SLOs across, you know, complex architectures help you that just, just with the, you know, setting the bar, right? This is, this is the framework. This is what we're presenting. This is what the consumer of the internal service understands and then can build dependency on this. That's why it becomes so important and so powerful for, for service providers, especially in a distributed, you know, service-oriented architecture. Oh, I didn't say service-oriented architecture. It's really microservices architecture. That really helps you provide the true information to the end customer. And again, you can still exclude things like, you know, downtime and other things, which you don't might not believe that, you know, are impacting anything. Some people don't. Some people just want to show the, the true uh, service level to their customer, but it at least gives you the baseline to which the teams need to adhere to, gives you the ability to force teams to use this framework, define SLOs before they check in the code. As a matter of fact, we can also block the ability to check code Hmm. and deploy new code if you did not define an SLO, and if that SLO does not adhere to a certain level that your organization is is looking for. you know, you kind of hit on two things that I see that this tool really helps a company with. It sounds like for just general maintenance, but also how you build, because you just mentioned like, hey, if I'm checking in code, this tool, it sounds like can help me identify, will I be in violation or will it support, you know, what I've promised to customers? Is that is that accurate? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, it's our very basic uh, feature, which is, you know, uh, you have to define an SLO, right? Your, your organization might deliver a framework that, you know, it's, it's a baseline for that organization. But if you don't check in an SLO with your code or, you know, there's no ability for you to deploy it, or there's no ability for you to check that code until you have an SLO, which really forces the organization to adhere to those standards being set across the board, right? Yeah. You know, this is something that you kind of hinted at in the very beginning, and I'm thinking about like a modern infrastructure system or a modern service delivery system. We rely so much, you know, every software company relies on another provider, 100%. Like no one is building their stack full suite, you know, full stack, like they own every part of the delivery. That's not true. Everyone is using something else. So it looks like checking from your side that you've built a system that allows me to also, you know, all my partners, all my vendors, all my integrations, all of it's being tracked. But then you kind of hinted on the one thing that that concept of that technical debt, right? And maintaining things that are old, because every company that delivers a modern service probably also has something that they kind of still carry. You know what I mean? Talk about how this, how this plays together, because that's one of the challenges of the modern software company. And I think most of the CIOs and CTOs that listen to our show would agree with is like, your service is still has many dependencies where the customer doesn't know that, right? The customer's on the other side saying, hey, hey, my instance of your software is down, but it might not be you. <laughs> you know what I mean? actually, and the customer doesn't care who it is, right? It's not their problem. Yeah. How does that all integrate together? Because it seems like this is something that back when I was in software development, we would integrate all these different infrastructure and alerting systems that would, you know, like New Relic that would constantly alert us of all these different things happening. I remember one time, one of my 
you know, back end infrastructure guys looking at me like, you know, you know the problem. Yeah, well, you know he, he's problem. like, nah, this just beeps all day. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's That's like, and, he's, and he was like, hey, unless somebody calls and says this is a problem, I'm not going to look at this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let, let's start from the top, right? Yeah. The dependencies, of course, you know, uh, everybody's got something, Okta or, you know, some other elements or even internal organizations that have built something. And then you discover this has been built by the guy 20 years ago and it's running on the desktop, you know, somewhere <laughs> under the desk, right? Things like that happen. Trust me, yeah. even, even today. So more and more, we really see customers uh, requesting their providers to expose SLO so that they can use it for, you know, uh, calculation of their own SLOs, right? Mm. Or if they're taking dependency, like it would be ideal if we can have everybody exposing those SLOs and then it flows into my system if I take the dependency and automatically I cannot give you, you know, four nines if what I'm consuming is two nines, right? Ideally, we want to get to that level. You know, of course, it's super complex, a lot of money, a lot of time. But, you know, we see SLOs accelerate, adoption accelerating, you know, things are happening there. So hopefully we get to that level where, where we have transparency. And, you know, it's if you think about security, right, um, not that long ago, maybe 10 years ago, we believe people that put some kind of log on their website and we put a credit card in. Oh, they're secure because they have a log. <laughs> right? I remember those, that. Those I remember right? those days. Right. Buy safe. <laughs> now have, exactly. Now we have all set of requirements and no one's going to believe anyone. It's all very transparent. We have understanding of what we're buying, you know, what the frameworks are that they're that they're developing against and, and securing against. Right. So we we got to this level of security pretty much, and reliability is 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 really quickly behind it, uh, because you know as a customer I don't want to take a you know dependency on a company that that doesn't deliver me the service that they promise they do, and then they argue with me because they have SLN in place that's got a bunch of exclusion like that's just not going anywhere. Uh, so hopefully that happens, right? We're certainly building a product that is designed to do that multi-tier. SLO dependency that you can take from your ecosystem, from your partners or anybody else for that matter, right? The second point, technical debt. It's funny because, you know, look, we're only five-year company. We don't have any technical debt. I'm like, yeah, sure. That's definitely the story. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> you probably have more technical debt than anybody else. <laughs> and we have tons of customers that uh, are using our systems with that in mind. Very significant portion of those customers are really focusing on planning how they use SLOs to really make decisions on make decisions on the fact that you know now we have to focus on um, accelerating features and you know that's our competitive advantage but when we get to a certain point and you know we see degradation of SLOs we need to change our thinking and flip back to you know at least turn some teams into fixing issues you know dealing with technical debt if you look up, you know, uh, Flexera and Noble9, you know, one of our customers, they they released a few videos that take you through the whole logic on how they think about business and how Noble9 helps them really to make the right decision and manage teams and do planning even long term. That's a very interesting concept. One of our core features or concepts behind a product, and I would say majority of the customers are using Noble9 for that for that purpose as well. And then of course the last one that you mentioned about, you know, alerting. Uh, <laughs> every product today alerts. We alert too, right? <laughs> yeah. We do have a feature that uh, manages those alerts, again, based on SLOs. And uh, the way we set it up is, you know, you might have multiple different SLOs for, for one service. 
they're very similar. They're the same SLO. Basically, they just differ. It just differs based on the time frame, yeah. right? So um, if you have two, three different ones, one might be you know 15 minutes, another might be two hours, another one might be one day, for example. And you when you define the error budget, and your error budget is basically uh, um, the 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 space where you know if you enter that, you you have a certain level of um, issues to burn, right? That are impacting the customer, but they're at the point where the customer still does not feel like they have to leave the platform or they, they're getting significant impact, right? So a lot of our customers said in that way where if you see air budgets burning, but they're not really burning very fast, then you might just open a Jira ticket and, you know, alert someone in the morning when they come to work and they check the tickets and like, okay, we have to look into those issues, but they're not pressing, right? However, when you have a combination of those SLOs and error budgets burning much faster, then you might make a decision that you want to pay someone in the middle of the night. And again, that's been very, very important, especially with, you know, their burnouts and Absolutely. great resignation and everything else that's been going on lately. Uh, a lot of companies really have been trying to figure out how to manage workload, how to, you know, uh, uh, make it easier on their employees. So it's been, uh, it's been very interesting year or more oh yeah uh, that we work with with some of our customers to really help them manage you know the, the pager fatigue and 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 all the issues with support so you mentioned that you learned about this this world really from google it sounds like fast forward to right now do you see like a lot of cio ctos are they more coming to you like i'll give you an example when when we were in software there was like a there was almost like a tipping point at one point it was like we were educating the customer like we were really going hard in the paint, trying to educate customers what we yeah, did. Yeah. And they'd listen to us and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, why is this necessary? And so on. And then there seemed to be like a tipping point where people are like, hey, I heard you guys do this for companies. Yeah. And so like, you know, and this was like even network as a service. It got to the point where people like, you know, oh, we want to be able to spin up a network, a private network whenever we want to do um, some testing. And we're like, okay, now we've hit it. Yeah. Give me an idea for in this category, are CIO CTOs, are they starting to demand this for you? Or is there, is there still like an education road where you're educating them about like what this is available? Because I mentioned before, when I was developing software, we didn't have anything like this. Like when things, like we had these random alerting systems. I wish you had. <laughs> my guy did for sure. My, my partner, he was like, <laughs> I, I wish these things were more specific because it would just be like, oh, it's not working, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I'll give you a little bit of history, right? Uh, Brian and I, um, when we first discovered SLOs and, and the whole framework behind it uh, to us, you know, we dealt with those issues from our previous company. Right. We never knew what we focus on. Of course, you know, customer, every customer is yelling at you, every, every customer is important. And like, where do we start, right? It's been a huge issue for us. So going through this and solving this with Google and, and the knowledge of the team, which is absolutely amazing to us, but, you know, to be honest with you, between Brian and I, we had those conversations like, yeah, this is yet another Google thing that who knows where it's going to go. Right? <laughs> Google can afford to do things, right? Yeah. But, you know, at some point, we really start thinking about funding a company and, 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 and doing this. Our first really gauging point was the fact that if Kubernetes wins and becomes de facto standard, then you cannot really do microservices slash Kubernetes without SLOs. And at some point we saw that. So we made this decision, let's go and do this, right? How did you come to that conclusion? Uh, we were just observing the market, you know, the pickup from the customers, how the customers been talking about this. And we had the luxury of, you know, hearing it from a lot of customers with, with Google, right? We also seen Amazon building a clone that didn't really, you know, it's still there, but it, it, at some point they also built the Kubernetes-based service, right? Yeah. 
that was really very powerful to us, and and we saw that happening. So then, you know, once we started the company, our our thinking was, well, SLOs are really SRE concept, and that comes of uh, Google, so let's go after SREs, right? And I think it was a good strategy back then because it was pre-pandemic. Uh, when we talk to SREs, they have an idea. We don't have to educate them as a small startup. We don't have to invest in education. So we're selling to the SREs. They love it. Makes sense. Great. But with pandemic, I would say probably you know six months into it, we noticed a lot of just standard general IT organizations asking about it, right? And and we start seeing a lot of the observability companies start talking about SLOs as well, maybe adding features, SLO features on their platform. So to us, that was very interesting. First of all, you know, we changed our messaging a little bit. We went away from SRE. SREs get it. SREs need it. They use it. That's fine. But we start really um, presenting SLOs in, in the context of observability in general. How, you know, you make observability data actionable with SLOs because there are so much more than, you know, what you get from tracing a problem, for example, or tracing an issue, right? That was very interesting. That that message was was definitely resonating. Um, and I would tell you, a year after that, maybe a year and a half after that, today, the organizations we're talking to are absolutely amazing to me. Like I would not, you know, of course, you're gonna talk to Wall Street because they always experiment with new technology. They always play with the new stuff, right? Staying ahead. That's that's very strategic to them. But we're we're talking to very traditional enterprise companies that you know see the value in SLOs and of course there's education. There is always you know uh, uh, someone that's uh, pushing that type of initiative. So education for the teams is is quite important. And again, we we assume that from the beginning it makes a lot of sense because you want to do it right. A lot of people could get frustrated with you know how we apply those things, how the framework works. Well, back in the day, everybody was thinking we have to do a full SRE to do SLOs. And, you know, that's not a great idea to go in that direction because it's just flipping everything on its head. And, and you know, it's hard to uh, to make that change in, in, in large organizations. Maybe with time we'll get there. Uh, but the fact that SLOs became really mainstream observability uh, uh, piece made it very, very easy for us to, to have those conversations. And I will tell you at this point, if if your organization is not thinking about SLOs, you're behind because everybody else is. So, <laughs> and I know Salesforce is doing this; it's been doing it for a while. So, yeah, it's fairly mainstream at this point. It's still a new market, developing market. There's no question about it. But um, the interest and the growth and um, ability to to implement those services came a long way over the past two years. Hey, listen, man, your first customer. You mentioned the SRE, Cyber Reliability Engineers. That role itself is very new. You know what I mean? Like that was, yeah, <laughs> it used yeah. to get buckled, bucket, bucketed in the DevOps group. And then they're like, oh, we just need someone to just dedicate it to keep the, the thing up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know where it's going to go. The labels, yeah. you know, the labels have changed because SREs were making so much more money than Dev- DevOps people, right? <laughs> so everybody wants to be SRE. At the end of the day, I think there's, you know, the answer is some kind of blend uh, uh, between those two um, profiles. Yeah. And that's what we're really seeing out there. So it's also helping us a lot. Well, yeah, I think the future of dev, you kind of hit on it. For every company that's a giant company like our, our sponsor, Salesforce, that has many, many product catalogs, there's also startups that are very focused. And so like the, the whole future of building software, right, our lead sponsor is the same thing, is like is integrating tools. It's integrating tools and services. So it makes sense that this whole new category is going to emerge, this monitoring of SLOs across services, because there will not be, like back in the day, you know, Microsoft was selling Word on a disk, like 
it was easy to control. <laughs> the, the software, the code was on that disk. Yeah. It didn't rely on any other services. It worked on your machine. They only sold it to people who had Windows. They knew the OS would work. That's it. Like It was a very controlled environment. But software today is not like that anymore. It is completely a mishmash of everyone else's tools on top of a little bit of code, for, you know, a lot of code that you do. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you don't have to know the code and you should, and you probably most likely will not, you know, you just got to take a, take a dependency on, on something producing some kind of result. Yeah. And the consistency and the level of service for producing that result is what you care about, right? Exactly. So for every company that's out there, like, every, like you mentioned, like those young startups that are saying, hey, we have no technical debt, but you do rely on other services. Like we used, we, we mentioned in the beginning, Okta, right? Like if someone's not able to log in your service, you can't tell them that, oh, what well, Okta's not working today. Like that, they don't believe you and they don't care. Like you said, like it doesn't matter. Like I want to be able to log in and use this product. Yeah, yeah they don't care. They don't care. When you think about where you are today, I mean, this is a very new category. Of course, this is enlightened. Uh, you were enlightened to like see what was going on at Google. Did you always know you were heading down this path? Like, hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to run a, build a company, work in software. Did you always kind of have that like gut instinct that that's where the path you were going to go? Or did you think something else when you were younger? I would say yes, 100% from the beginning, right? Yeah. The only issue that I had, I ended up in, in really good organizations, really having fun, working with smart people. You know, my, my last job before a startup was AWS, you know, and I joined when Part of the company was so small that, you know, nobody really knew about it. And <laughs> I, I, I will never forget, we were at some kind of industry uh, event where people coming by asking if we're Amazon here to sell books. Uh, that was literally it, right? And we're standing there with <laughs> That's how early it was, yeah. And all my friends from the enterprise side, you know, making fun of me, what are you doing there again? <laughs> But, you know, that's, that's where it started. And, and my point being, you know, I always felt like, working smaller teams, doing something interesting was was that. But I was too lazy to just jump the ship, do something on my own, and, and it finally happened, right? So there's no reason to go back, and I hope I don't have to go back. I'm enjoying <laughs> building companies, hiring people, you know, growing it. It's That's that's the part of the fun, right? Yeah. What would you say to that young engineer who's sitting there listening to the show, listening to your story, and they're on the verge. They think that they want to do something, but they haven't quite taken the step yet. <laughs> uh, I would say just wait a couple of months. I wouldn't tell anyone right now in this environment <laughs> to quit your job and go crazy. Hey, but you might be resilient. You might be building a very resilient company, right? Yeah. But yeah, think about your, your life priorities. You know, what you like to do. Um, that's, that's the important part. Being in a startup, it's not what it used to be 20 years ago. When, when I was thinking about it, when I was looking at it, I had friends, you know, doing startups. Where you're taking a significant pay cut, you know, you're making a lot of sacrifices and, and you feel like you're doing something and it might be very, very rewarding, right? We're, we're not there anymore. Um, you know, startups are raising significant amounts of money. The salaries are really on par with anybody out there, oh, yeah. right? You, you have to pay the talent. There's really no escape from it anymore. Some, some, of, these big, some of these big companies are really, they're, I mean, they're really overpaying engineers because they need them. They need them to yeah. leave. They need that guy exactly. from Netflix to leave and come to me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, bottom line is the only risk you take is, is, is on the equity that you leave on the table, invested stocks if you leave a company and, you know, you're getting equity in a, in a mature company that might not go anywhere. That's your only risk. But at the end of the day, that's always, you know, amazing experience. I can guarantee you if you leave AWS or Google or Facebook for a startup and you want to go back in two, three years, they'll take you back. <laughs> uh, so the risk is very, very minimal, right? And, and, don't be scared. 
Find yourself a good co-founder. That's always helpful. Although I admire people that have done it on their own, it's always better for a co-founder. <laughs> no doubt about it. You know, one of the things that everyone always talks about, well, no, the number one reason to have a co-founder is in those dark moments when you start thinking to yourself, maybe this doesn't work. You need someone to seize, the, seize another path, Yeah. right? <laughs> Give me an idea of you and your co-founder. How, how would you describe your personalities? Are you the more optimist? There's usually like, there's usually like an optimist, pessimist guy. Like, <laughs> you know what? That part, not necessarily. We're complete opposites when it comes to, you know, my co-founder, Brian, is very technical. I'm, I'm more business oriented. There are many differences, yeah. uh, but the, the optimist pessimist kind of switches depending on the day, week, or month, <laughs> or, or an event, right? So it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Marston, it was a lot of fun having you on the show. You're opening a category that, looking back on it, like I said, I wish I wish we had. I think we would have had our, an easier life because uh, this, especially by the way, I used to work in uh, social media publishing. Really hard business to be in. Companies were relying on us to publish to Facebook, yeah. to Twitter, and all that stuff. And it's like we were always at the mercy of those APIs and their services, and we had no tools to be able to track this. <laughs> like we would just like shrug our shoulders and just say that stuff. But the way you, the way you envisioned it, the what you've learned, I mean, it's a, it was fun to hear because I, th- I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the way modern tools are built, you're going to need something like this, hundred percent. I'm glad you, I, I know you got your experiences. I'm glad you recognize it. Thank you uh, <laughs> uh, for the feedback. I appreciate it. Hey, listen, man, there's a lot of phone calls with me just trying to, like you said, like you just described it, panicking, trying to call somebody on my team. Hey, fix this. And they're like, I can't. Facebook's API is down. Twitter's, a, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like we literally nothing to do. And I was like, oh, someone's got to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> At some point it will fix itself. Marcel, thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you, Albert. Glad to be here.